Thanks for tuning in to this week's message. For more resources and information about Cedar Valley, please visit cvchurch.org. All right, so it's Palm Sunday, everybody, already. We are in April, and uh, Palm Sunday is the Sunday before the big Sunday. Next Sunday is a big Sunday, most attended service uh, every year. And, of course, today we are going to talk about uh, the Palm Sunday story, which is the doorway into Passion Week. And I'll tell you what, man, I, I'm hoping that, uh, that we found an angle in today's message that will touch you uh, in a different kind of way. Because I just get the sense that a lot of people are in the room today and you absolutely need to feel a touch from God. I'm praying that you would literally feel the hand of God, like the peace of God in your life today. And... We know that on a day like today, many of you might be here fulfilling an invitation of your lovely mother or an uncle or a grandma or a neighbor who's been pestering you. Come to church with me, please. Come to church with me. Palm Sunday is such a special Sunday. Please come to church with me. You're here. And maybe you'd say, man, today was great. Music is fantastic. Great voices, great musicians. I wouldn't necessarily call myself a believer or a follower of Christ, but I'm here. I'm in the room. I just want you to know, man, I think today... I think today you're going to find yourself somewhere in the story uh, of Palm Sunday, uh, some way, somehow. But I've been praying that that's exactly how you would experience this morning's service. If you would, stand to your feet. We're going to read our primary text. Those of you who are regular around here, you know we do this when we read our primary text. Not because we know it all or we've got it all together, but it's just our way of simply recognizing that this is God's holy Word, right? This will be the only time we stand to read his word, and then uh, you'll remain seating as we get through some of the, uh, the verses today. If you don't have a Bible, uh, we want you to know we have some Bibles available right out these doors on the tabletops outside, and as well in the balcony. You're welcome to just grab one of those. They're a gift from us to you. We want to make sure everyone has the opportunity to own their very own Bible. All right, we're reading out of the book of John today, chapter 12, beginning in verse 12 through... 19. John chapter 12, uh, verse 12, reading through 19. This is how it reads. The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. A large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it, fulfilling the prophecy that said, Don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. His disciples didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead, and they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him, because they had heard about this miraculous sign. Let's pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that this day means in light of salvation, in light of our eternity. Thank you, Father, for all the goodness and all the mercy that chases us down like an old ancient army chasing us down. Thank you for chasing us down. Thank you, God. Today we pray that you would give us ears to hear your word. God, we're praying and believing you're going to touch us 
in a special way. We'll walk out of this place knowing that was God. That was God's hand touching my life. That was God speaking to me. So, God, I pray you would take whatever it is that comes from me. And, Holy Spirit, I pray you would do a work. You would do a work. Today we have chosen to come and gather around you, not around a good band, not around a good person, not, not around good lights or a nice building. We've come to gather around you, Jesus. We love you. We thank you for who you are in our lives. In Jesus' name, we all said. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so, man, Palm Sunday. I think about Palm Sunday all the way back to my childhood. One of the things I loved most about Palm Sunday was I knew that they'd be giving out palm branches all morning long. So, like, it was a competition who could accumulate the most palm branches by the end of service. While all the adults were having these holy moments, all of us kids were whipping each other with palm branches, right? <laughs> Gathering as many palm branches as we possibly can. When I was a kid growing up in northern New Mexico, man, I used to pray and hope for so many things. There are some things I vividly remember wanting to be or praying and asking God to somehow let this become a reality in my life. Like, I remember, and I still to this day kind of feel this way, but I, I wanted to be a U.S. Marine. I, I just wanted to be one so bad, the few, the proud. I, I saw them and I looked up to them. I still do. Uh, when the D.A.R.E. police would come to school in elementary, I'm like, there I am. Like, there I am. Fast forward 20 years, there I am. I've got the K. I'm the K-9. Right? I'll be on SWAT team. I'll do intel. I wanted to be on SWAT for sure. I, and I would pray, man, God, I want to be one of them. Then as high school came, middle school, playing sports, and they're, all right, I'm going to be a rich athlete. I'm going to give back. I'm going to have baseball parks with my name all over them. I'm going to buy my mama a house, my daddy a house. I'm going to buy him a Harley. I'm going to just give. and I wanted to be a rich athlete. Man, there are so many things I just remember, you know, just grasping my hands together and praying to God, asking God for something. Man, especially like that one time in third grade, I came home and I fell to my knees bedside. And I'm like, God, this girl named Fawn got assigned to sit next to me today. And I think she's the one. I mean, everything that I've learned in my life up to this point points to this young lady named Fawn. And I'll tell you what, man, when, I, when we, you know, fast forward into high school, and how many of y'all heard that song from Garth Brooks, Unanswered Prayers? You ever heard that song? Neil had never heard the song Unanswered Prayers. I'm like, brother, you don't know music. If you don't know country music, you don't know music. I know y'all don't like country music either. Y'all don't even know what country music is. But when you live in Memphis for two years, you know what country music is. That's why I go to the Texas Roadhouse, so I can kind of get a blast from the past. <laughs> but seriously, you ever look back at your life? You know, you're 40 years old now, you're 50 years old now, you're 60 years old back. Be honest with me for just a second. You ever thank God, man, I'm so thankful you didn't answer that prayer of mine the way I, I wanted you to. Come on, you lift your hand like confidently, like I would have blown that. If you would have given me that, that would have been an absolute train wreck. Man, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayers. The piece of the Palm Sunday story that we're looking at today is a perfect example of people who are crying out. And we'd say praying for what they want or what they think they need from a king or a savior who is more than capable of giving them every single thing they're asking for, but doesn't give, it, doesn't give them what they're asking for. That's what this story really is uh, all about. Everything Jesus did leading up to Palm Sunday, everything he did leading up to Palm Sunday, throughout all of Palm Sunday and the days leading up to his crucifixion, his death, 
uh, his burial and his resurrection was his response. Listen closely to this. It was his response to the need of the people then and even now. So we read first out of John 12, verse 12. Let's look at that verse again. It says, The next day, the news that Jesus was on the way to Jerusalem swept through the city. The next day, so days before this was written, uh, he, he was coming from Lazarus' house in Bethany, right? So Bethany, not that I've been there or made this walk myself, but Bethany is like two miles from Jerusalem, which is like from Cedar Valley Church to Cuatros Milpas on 494 in Portland. That's two miles, right? Or for those of you walkers, that's two full loops at the Mall of America. That's Bethany to Jerusalem. And Jerusalem's about 100,000 people. But during this festival, it gets up to about a million plus people. So 10 times the amount of people headed to Jerusalem to celebrate what Hillary just came and talked to us about, right? They're coming to celebrate their freedom from the grip of slavery out of Egypt, right? They're singing their Exodus song. Uh, and I'm, I'm trying to, like, help paint a picture of what this would have felt like. So, y'all, Minnesota is so big on the Minnesota State Fair, right? Record attendance on one day at the Minnesota State Fair is about 270,000 people just on one day. But in a small kind of area, that's, like, shoulder-to-shoulder kind of people, right? So this is what the city kind of looks like at the time. But it also has the smell of a sheep auction, right? So you've got the Minnesota State Fair crowd with the smell and scent of a sheep auction. Because everybody's got sheep. They're on their way to Passover, right? So they've got, they all got some sheep with them. They all need them. So imagine being at the state fair and everybody's got a couple sheep with them, right? That's kind of what it feels like. But it's interesting that John would mention that the news swept through the city. Because there is no social media. There's no Instagram there's no Twitter, there's no Facebook, there's no Snapchat, there's no LinkedIn, there's nothing, there's nothing. So like he's going viral before viral was even a thing. People are aware Jesus is coming. He is on his way. It's swept through the city. So now this buzzing Minnesota State Fair crowd with all the smells of a sheep auction, they're all looking and expecting. Jesus, I heard Jesus is coming in. Jesus, as you know, has had crowds following him. He's been doing these great miraculous signs. There are people following him, and now they're all expectant of his arrival into Jerusalem. I think we're supposed to ask this question. Um, how did this happen? How in the world did, did the entire crowd become fixated on Jesus' arrival? And, and John is going to tell us the answer to that question, thankfully, but, but not yet. First, he's going to tell us what they did when they, heard, when they heard that Jesus was coming. So we'll go to John 12, the next part, 12b and 13. It says this. A large crowd, and we know that this is hundreds of thousands of people, a large crowd of Passover visitors took palm branches and went down to the road to meet him. They shouted, praise God, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hail to the king of Israel. So the news is sweeping through Israel, and what they did was they went and took palm branches, right? So why the palm branches? Well, 
It's custom to the day that the palm branches kind of, you know, they were significant. They were like the red carpet, right? They were, they were brought out when it was VIPs. When you were a very important person, people went and got palm branches. That's how they were going to greet him with palm branches, right? Uh, the large crowd, we're talking the disciples, the 12 disciples. You've got all the other disciples, hundreds of them. You've got a large crowd filled with followers, believers, fans, all the haters, diverse crowd. I mean, he's just got an entourage of people following him and a million people in, his, in Jerusalem just waiting on his arrival. Kind of like the Minnesota State Fair, right? You've got people from all over the place, people looking different, people from all kinds of, they're all there for different reasons. That's for sure true of the setting here for Palm Sunday. But, but I think it's also important that we identify the things that they're saying. They shouted. First of all, they shouted, praise God. But if you have the NIV interpret, uh, translation, you would see that they said, Hosanna, right? Hosanna. Could you imagine the roar of a crowd of people saying, Hosanna? What that might have, you know what, this is kind of like a crowd, on the count of three, say Hosanna. One, two, three. Hosanna. Not bad. Now on the count of three, shout Hosanna. One, two, three. Hosanna. Now let's do it three times in a row. One, two, three. Hosanna. 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 Woo! Put them gloves on, ready to go, right? That's what they're, Hosanna. You know what Hosanna means? Please save us. What they're saying is, please save us, Jesus. Please save us. Please save us. They're saying this. As Jesus is making his way into Jerusalem, they're running out. They're running out of the city because he's so important. They're running out of the city with their palm branches. Some translations say they're even putting their garments down. Like this man's not going to walk on the dirt. He's not going to walk on the terrain. He's going to walk on these branches. He's a very important person. Hosanna. He's the one that's coming to save us. And then they say, blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Man, these people know their Bible. These, these, these people, they're familiar. Remember, they sat in sun, these, the Jews would sit in synagogues week after week. They knew the Bible. They knew this is God sent. He, Jesus is God sent to us. He's coming to save us. Blessings on the one who comes in the name of the Lord. God has sent him. And then they say, hail to the king of Israel. And this is where it really starts to stir up some serious tension. Because here are these people who have a king named Caesar. And they are saying, here, hail to the king, King Jesus. King Jesus. What did it say above the cross? King of the Jews. Here's our king. What they're really saying is, we want you to come and be our king. Hail to the king. Hail to our king. Man, it's crazy to think. They're quoting Psalm 118. They knew their word. They knew the word of God, and they began to proclaim this over him as he makes his way. He's surrounded by thousands and thousands and thousands of people that all are about to turn on him. John 12, 14 and 15 says, Jesus found a young donkey and rode on it. 
fulfilling the prophecy that said, don't be afraid, people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming, riding on a donkey's colt. A donkey. The donkey is very significant in this story. But it's not exactly what you would expect when your king is making his entrance. The donkey, number one, is a fulfillment of, uh, of prophecy in Zechariah 9, verse 9. See, Jesus getting on this donkey, riding on this donkey, on the palm branches and the garments, what he's really saying is, yeah, you guys are absolutely right. I am the one. I am the one that you have been waiting for. He's connecting the dots. The second significance of the donkey is that the donkey represents peace. It represents peace that nobody in the moment quite understood. You see, if your king was coming to save you, you would expect your king to come on chariots of fire or some strong stallion. That's what I'd want my king coming to get me on with war paint on, baby, looking like the ultimate fighter from the old school WWF, right? With ribbons tied around his biceps and veins bursting out of his arms. That's my king coming to save me. Nope, yet Jesus comes riding in on a donkey. And that donkey is a significant piece of this story. Jesus is everything righteous. He's everything gentle, bringing salvation, riding on a donkey, proclaiming peace to the nations. See, Jesus was coming to save them, but he was going about it much differently. He wasn't what they prayed for, what they were wanting, but he was every single thing that they needed. And Jesus gives us what we need, not always what we want, not always what we pray for. Can you relate to that? See, I find myself often in that tension. I really do. I pray, I let it all out. Write it out, cry it out, scream it out. I let it all out. And then his response to me is so much different from what I wanted or what I expected. So I can relate to this sense of like, you didn't give me what I asked for. It is true that he knows what I need and always prioritizes my needs over my wants. He does the same thing for you. So here's Jesus on his donkey going right down Palm Branch Boulevard. People all around him. By the way, not to throw this in your face at all, but a few years back, when the Denver Broncos won championships back-to-back, <laughs> they do these things, and one day we'll experience this together. When you win the world championship, you do a parade. Everybody goes to the city, to the inner city, 
and they gather shoulder to shoulder. And then these big buses come with all the players. And I remember looking up, there's John Elway, Terrell Davis, Rod Smith, Steve Atwater. Oh, my boys, man. And we're just crowded, crowded. And I just see the bus coming and the sea of people just slowly opening up so the bus can make his way through. Can you see Jesus on the donkey riding through the crowd of people. And little by little, they open and they close. They open and they close all the way around him. And he's sitting on this donkey, looking out into the crowd. He knows exactly what he's doing, why he's doing it. And everybody has no idea what's about to go down. They're singing out praise to him, Hosanna, please. And he accepts it all. He knows that he's fulfilling the scripture. He's doing exactly what his father has asked him to do. He has fully accepted it. He knows what's about to take place. And he's looking into the eyes of those who have no idea what's about to go down. See, John is part of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. John is writing to us at this point from full experience. When he talks about the disciples not understanding, when he talks about people shouting, he's one of them. He's right there next to Jesus. And then he goes to a verse where I think he kind of goes up to 30,000 feet. Because you, you know that he's not like a journalist while this is actually happening, writing this down as fast as he possibly can. That's not how this is playing out. This is 40, 50 years later where John is sitting in his breakfast nook with a cup of coffee. And he's beginning to write down everything he saw and everything that he experienced. And now the part of the story, he goes up to 30,000 feet and he says this in verse 16. He says, his disciples, who he was one of... He says, didn't understand at the time that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. But after Jesus entered into his glory, they remembered what had happened and realized that these things had been written about him. He's looking back 40 years removed from this unbelievable event. And he's saying, in the moment... Even the disciples didn't understand what was happening. Even we didn't understand what was happening as we experienced that day. It wasn't until after Jesus had died and rose from the dead that we began to connect the dots. It was then and there that I remember all the things that he would tell us. He told us what would happen. He, 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 would, give us, uh, you know, he would give us little snippets of what was to come. And, and in the moment, I never remember connecting the dots. But now, 35, 40 years later, I can see what he was doing and how bad we missed it. Some people were with Jesus, his disciples, hundreds of, of disciples who followed him. Crowds that had been following him for, for maybe years now. They were all captivated by everything they saw Jesus do. Remember the story when he fed the multitude? 15 to 20,000 people at that particular setting. There were crowds around Jesus. And in this moment... The people all around him on his donkey, they didn't get it. They didn't understand the meaning of what was happening. See, I was really, really relieved to read this particular verse because I often find myself just like them. After the fact, I look back and realize 
that I have failed to see him at work in so many of those situations that I endured. In the moment, I get caught up. I cave into the pressure and I give in to the the emotions just like the disciples did, just like the crowd did. I try every time to remind myself when I'm in a difficult situation that even though I don't get it right now, one day I will. Even though I'm not connecting the dots right now, one day I will. I'll get it. And someday I will see, God, what you're doing. And when I'm locked in on that, when I'm focused in on seeing that, then I find strength to keep trusting the kind of trust that we've been working through in Romans, that pistis kind of trust, like that full weight, getting my full weight into the barrel. Like when I see and I think, God, I know you're going to come through and one day I'm going to understand what you're doing. It causes me to want to trust him fully. Parents, maybe, maybe this helps us kind of come to terms with what's happening in the story here. You know, we have young children, and if we give our young children everything they ask for, and if you're a teacher, you'd get this, and if you work with kids, you'd get this. If we gave our children everything they asked for every single time, you know that that wouldn't be good for them. So we have to make the hard decision of saying no, despite what that does to their little cute heart. They're crying, and everything inside you wants to give them what they're asking for, but you know that if I give this to you, it's not good for you. So I've got to be the dad in this situation or the mom or the aunt or, or whatever the role. I've got to be that person in this situation and, and, and actually say no because that's actually better for you. Maybe that helps us come to terms with what Jesus is doing in this moment. He, he's looking out into the eyes of all these people who are crying out, come and save me, come, come and save me. Maybe they were expecting him to come and be this, this military power, right? Come and lead us against this, lead the revolt against the Roman grip uh, against us. Relieve us us of all of this. Or maybe they were expecting this political power, this guy to come and, and change it, right? Come and and save us. And Jesus is looking into their eyes saying, that's not what you need. If I gave you what you want, it wouldn't give you what you need. So I'm here to give you what you actually need. And what's beautiful about the story is it's, it's beautiful for the people there, but it's also the same story here today. For those who are praying and asking God for the many situations that you find yourself in today, you're asking God for an answer. You're, you're, you're seeking God for something, and he's not giving you what you're asking for. He's not responding the way you want him to. He's the father in the situation saying, I want to give you what you're asking for, but I'm going to give you what you need. I know what is best for you. What, you know, in retrospect, you look back at this and you think, man, if those people, if those disciples would have got it in the moment, what they would have been saying is come and be the Lord of my life. Come and save me from myself. Come and being, bring my salvation. Come and be salvation for me. They weren't screaming that. They weren't crying that out. John, looking back 40 years later, says that's exactly what we should have been saying. That's exactly what we should have been looking for. We should have seen Jesus coming to bring us everything that we need, not everything that we want. You wonder, why does Jesus continue to go through with this plan? 
He knows what's coming. Why does he accept this? You know why? Because he knew their greatest need. He knew their greatest need. So the big so what's coming a little early today because the story ends a little different. So the big so what up to this moment, everything we've said can be put together in one beautiful sentence that I want you to have in your heart all throughout the week. Wrestle with this all throughout the week. Wrestle with this in your prayer time. Wrestle with this as you journal. Wrestle with this in your conversation. It's this. We think we know what we need, but God knows what we need. The next time you start to be disappointed that God is not responding to you. God, where are you? God, I don't see you. I don't see you in responding to the need that you know that I have. How long, how long am I going to have to pray about this? How long am I going to have to continue to battle through this? Just know God knows exactly what you need. The story ends with verse 17 and 18. And interesting that the Palm Sunday story starts with people telling others about Jesus' coming, and it ends with people talking about uh, with people talking about Jesus. Verse 17 and 18 says, Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb. Remember, we asked, how in the world did he go viral without any social media? How in the world did people know? John's telling us how. Many in the crowd had seen Jesus call Lazarus from the tomb, raising him from the dead. And they were telling others about it. That was the reason so many went out to meet him. Because they had heard about his miraculous sign. Did you catch that? It was because they had heard about the miraculous sign. When people saw Jesus raise Lazarus from the death, dead in Bethany, they ran to Jerusalem knowing Jesus was coming. And they said, Jesus, the one who just raised Lazarus from the dead, he's actually coming. He's coming. I cannot believe it. I saw this with my own eyes. It was an unbelievable thing. You should see Mary was upset. Martha, they were kind of arguing. And then all of a sudden, Lazarus from the dead. I'm telling you, the dude was dead. Like not just one day, not just two days. Dead, gone. And then all of a sudden, Lazarus walked out from the tomb. And I saw it with my own eyes. And that same Jesus, he's coming. And they all went and got branches. And they went out and they began to lay it down. And they began to sing, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. That's how it happened. It was a bunch of people talking about what they saw and experienced in this man named Jesus. And I just can't help but think, what would be the impact of everyday people like you and me on an entire city? if we began to tell other people about what Jesus was doing in us. I'm just saying, what could you just imagine for a moment the impact that we could have on a community if we were to begin to tell our story? One of those churchy words we talk a lot about is testify, right? Testify. What that really means is to spread the word. To tell your story. To tell your story. They started a buzz of real truth. In a world where mass media and social media outlets rule communication these days. We certainly have our work cut out for us. But I'm telling you this, man. There is still power 
absolute power in telling your story, the story of God's goodness in your life, the story of all the things that Jesus has done. When you sing about his faithfulness, when you, when you talk about what he's done in your body, what he's done in your family, what he's done in your mind, what he's done in your heart, I'm telling you, there's still room for people to be telling others about the goodness and the mercy of God. What would it look like if this small little church, a couple thousand people just began to go out and tell people of what Jesus is doing in your life? We made these little invitations here. They're on everybody's bulletin today. You saw that? Here's the big ask. You know, some of you might think, I would, I would tell somebody about Jesus, but honestly, I don't know enough to answer the questions. Or, or maybe you would say, I don't have the strategy down yet, but I'm going to go to Alpha and I'm going to learn the strategy. And when I learn the strategy, then maybe I'll start telling other people about Jesus. Listen, there's nothing more effective than you just telling people what Jesus is doing in you. That's it. Because the Holy Spirit will work through your story. You just start telling people. Build the confidence to start telling people what Jesus is doing in you. And you know what statistics prove? This is true. 80% of people would say yes if you invited them to come to church with them. They're just waiting on a personal invitation. Easter's the big Sunday. It's the story that everybody needs to know. Everybody needs to know the story. Everybody needs to know that Jesus is coming this man of peace is coming to bring salvation for all of humanity, right? That he paid the ultimate price. He gave his life. He was sacrificed, right? He, 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 he was crucified, buried, and rose from the third day for the salvation of all mankind. So you know what the challenge is? The challenge is on you and me. I want you to do me a favor. I want you to take out your little invitation that was on your bulletin. I hope you grabbed a bulletin today. Because if you did, one of these things was wrapped around it. And when you have your invitation, I want you to place it in your hand. I want you to stand to your feet. This altar calls for everybody. That's because we're going to believe that God can use us to change a community. We believe he can. We absolutely believe he can. And I'm just saying, I think everyone should accept responsibility for this one. Don't think, you know what, there's plenty of people in our church that will be giving out invitations. I'm going to skip out on this one. Nope. Think of somebody you know. Think of somebody you work with, someone you love. Could be a family member. Could be a coworker. Could just be a friend. And you know this person, they need the peace of God in their life more than anything. They need the peace of God in their life. And I'm going to invite them to come with me. I'm going to invite them. I always think when at, the, at the wedding banquet and Jesus said, go out into the highways and the byways and compel them to come in. I always think it's like when you're inviting someone to come to church, compels like, look, come to church with me and I'll take you to lunch. Like you come to church with me, and I'll take you coffee the next day to work. Like make a deal with them. Do whatever you got to do. 
But let's bring them. And more than that, it's not even, the win's not that they just come to church on Sunday. The win is that you would begin to tell them the story of God's goodness in your life. How he's been with you in some of your darkest times. How you have felt his peace in the middle of the storms of your life. How when you felt like everything was falling apart, he was the one constant in your life. When you just begin to tell the story of Jesus' goodness in your life, God uses that to begin to work on people's hearts. And that's why we exist. The answer to the world that we live in today is the local church. It's you and it's me. And what would it look like if we began to take responsibility for telling the good news of Jesus Christ to those who are far from him? It's our job. So I want you to have, show me your invitation, everybody. Show me your invitation. God, you see every one of these invitations. Every one of these invitations has a name on it. Someone's going to receive this invitation this week. Father, we're asking you for favor in our conversations this week. Holy Spirit, the way that you came and changed my heart is the same way we ask for you to change the hearts of those who will receive this invitation. There are many in this room who were so far from you. Our hearts were absolutely calloused. We were in a place of of unbelievable despair, so far from you, wanting nothing to do with you. Yet, Holy Spirit, you came and did a work in us. And now we ask that you would do the same for those in our life. Give us the words. Give us the opportunity. Give us the boldness. Give us the courage to open our mouth and to share the story of your goodness in our life. How you have blessed us. How you have kept us. How you have healed us. How you you have restored us. Thank you, God, for the work that you've done in us. As we look back, we can see that you've always been for us. You've always been with us. You've always given us what we need. You've been faithful to us despite our unfaithfulness. You've remained constant. And we thank you for that, God. I just pray, Lord, that you would give us a sense of urgency a sense of urgency to tell the story of Jesus' work in our life with other people, with other people, so that more people can come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, so that more people can experience the love and the peace that comes from Jesus Christ. God, would you do that in us? Would you do that in us? Would you give us, Holy Spirit, power this week, power this week?